Now, if you got a bulletin sheet today, you would have got an insert, a blue insert, which is giving details of this short series that we're doing on membership. And we're kind of starting with a general theme this evening of what is the church. If we're talking about being members of the church, I think it's important for us to think about and realize what the church is. It's a fairly general theme this evening. And then next Sunday morning, Andy is going to look at becoming a member of the church, what what it means to be a member of the church. And then the evening uh, next Sunday, what kind of church is St. Columbus? And then uh, being a member in St. Columbus the following Sunday evening. So please uh, uh, try and uh, follow that series through. If you don't, you'll get it on the website, of course, and uh, pray about it and pray both if you're not a member, if you're not a Christian, if you are a Christian and not a member, if you are a Christian and a member, then I hope there's something in it for all of us to consider particularly as we think about uh, the church. Now, I suppose if I went around with a microphone this evening and asked uh, people what they think the church is, I would probably get as many different answers as there are people here. I was tempted to do it, actually, but I'm not going to tonight, not tonight. I don't have the energy (laughs) to go around you all. But also, if I also went around with another microphone, well, it could be the same one, uh, and asked what the church is not, I'm sure you would also uh, come out with a lot of different answers of what the church is not. Because I think we all have quite a lot of uh, sometimes presuppositions about what the church is. So what I want to do this evening is go back to Scripture, and primarily I'm going to speak a little bit from Ephesians, the chapter that was read, but then I'm going to go back to another part of Scripture, which I think maybe we don't think about as much as describing the church, but it's a prayer of Jesus for all believers. It's what Jesus prays for the church, in other words. And I can't think of anyone better to describe the church than Jesus. And if Jesus is praying for certain things, then we can know that these things are important to him in respect to what the church is. So I know there's lots of things I'll miss out. There's lots of things I'll not touch on. uh, But I just want to focus on uh, these two things. A little bit from Ephesians here and then Uh, We're going to read a little bit in John. So if I was asked to define what the church was, uh, or to give a one-word description of what God thinks the church is, then I would use the word that he uses. And that is the word that we get ecclesiastical from, or ecclesiastic, ecclesia. And that really means, and I think we can understand this really well, it means a gathering. It means a gathering. Uh, Ecclesia literally means called out. But it called out into, in in general usage, it was a gathering. A people coming together. It was in the the marketplace in in the Greek uh, culture. But it's it's an assembly, a gathering. And so the church then is a gathering of people who follow Jesus. If you go back to the Great Commission, he said, make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded and I will be with you always. So the, the Great Commission for us is to make disciples, to make what? Followers of Jesus. So that the gathering that is the church is a group of people who, who follow Jesus. That's what the church is. This isn't the church, the building. The denomination isn't the church. Another denomination isn't the church. The church is the gathering of God's people to worship him, to follow him, to uh, serve him. 
And this gathering has certain characteristics that I'll go through very quickly here. It's a gathering where God is at the center. Okay, that's fundamental and it's important. We'll come back to that again and again. In Ephesians 1, verse 22, where we read, uh, we're told that God placed all things under the feet uh, of Jesus, that is, under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, for the ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's an amazing verse. It's an astonishing verse where God says that uh, he has appointed everything to be under Jesus. Jesus has given all authority, and he's given all authority for all time for the church. So the church is at the very center of God's purposes. If you look at uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 15 and 16, just a little bit of this, or particularly 15, instead speaking the truth in love, he's speaking to the church in Ephesus, we will in all things grow up to him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, another word for the church, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. So the, the church has been, God, Christ's authority is over the all things, and it's for the church of whom he is the head. Christ is the head of the church. And if you flip back quickly to Ephesians 1.4, we're told there in 1.4, that God chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So you've got, got this amazing view of the church which says that God has placed Christ with all the authority and it's for the church and that Christ is the head of the church and indeed, actually, we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be part of his body. So there's this amazing reality of this gathering where God is at the center. It's kind of a wow moment. Wow! That is unbelievable. And I've always just thought of the church as the building. That is a human construct. Just a group of people that maybe have the same kind of way of thinking. And God is saying, no, it's, it's, it's hugely significant in that it will even outlast this present universe. It will always be a gathering, a following of Jesus Christ that will f come to fulfillment and fruition in uh, glory. God is at the center. And in this amazing body, in this amazing assembly, in this amazing gathering, we are followers. We're followers of Jesus, all of us in Christ. The church is made of people who are followers of Jesus, following him because he's preparing a place for us. And so until we get to that place that he's preparing for us, we serve him and we worship him and we live by repentance and faith and trust in him and we uh, are his servants. So we're followers of Jesus. So it's not an institution. It's not a denomination. It's not a building. The church is a gathering with God at the center and we are followers. And crucially, by way of introduction, can I say that we are followers? Now, I think this is very important. We're followers together. We're followers together. And that, that will, I'll open that out a little bit more. But we're followers together. This is a crucial aspect. Now, the Bible speaks about coming to personal faith 
in Jesus Christ, that you must stand before God and you must stand as an individual before God and you must come to a personal faith in him. That is absolutely undoubted. But beyond that, we are never islands as believers. We are never saved to be islands. We are never saved to be in an individual, only an individual relationship with Jesus to hang with the rest of Christendom or the rest of the world. Uh, Always the Bible speaks about the church as being followers together. So there's this picture of as a body with all the supporting ligaments and all the different parts. It speaks about a family. It speaks about a priesthood, a holy nation. It gives all these illustrations and all these pictures of what the church is. And it's, it's never, they're never individual. It's always a people together. And that is, therefore, we are followers of Jesus together by design, not by um, uh, by design, not by our choice, in other words, or not just by chance. It's not like we just say, oh, this is a nice church. I like being part of this church. And while I keep liking being part of this church, I'll I'll be in it. It is not either because a good church or a bad church at one level. It is by design that we are a people together. Now, I know that is too hard. I know maybe some of you this evening will say, that's just too hard It's so hard to be part of the church. So hard to be part of a body of believers. There's there's so many clowns in the church. There's so many idiots in the church. It's so difficult. They let me down so much. They're so different from me. Please remember that he died for them too. Any thinking that we have, and which we do often have, which is critical and judgmental of the church, stems from a place where we are judging them because we think we're better. Whereas grace is always a recognition that it's unbelievable that Jesus Christ saved me. And he died for them also. And he loves them just as he loved me. Now, we are bound together in church. We are followers together. Now, that is going to be messy and we may as well get used to that. And as part of the teaching of what the church is, is it's messy, it's committed, it's ugly, it's beautiful. There's a lot of different things. But we mustn't have some kind of standard that allows us to drop out of it when things don't go our way. Drop out of it when we're let down. Drop out of it when others fail. Because it doesn't leave a place for our failure. And it doesn't leave a place for our forgiveness. And it doesn't leave a place for uh, our uh, being loved. So, we have that basic uh, recognition of the word, which is it's a gathering, and we can understand that. A kind of Scottish equivalent might be a kelly, a coming together, a celebration together in many ways. But it's a gathering. It's God at the center. We are followers and we're followers together. Can I look specifically then for a few minutes, and if you'll stay with me, and I hope you'll be able to stay awake and that the Holy Spirit will shake you from the inside out to do that uh, and keep me awake too, uh, is in John chapter 17. So John prays, uh, Jesus prays rather, for all believers. He's prayed for his disciples who are the founders of the church, uh, who are the teachers the original teachers in the church who have got God's message. And then he goes on to pray for all believers. From verse 20, that section 
uh, on page 1085. My prayer is not for them also, that is the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that, by the world, uh, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made known I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Okay. So I'm going to take the definition of the church from this prayer of Jesus, uh, which is to the Father, but he's praying for all believers, and that includes us all this evening, uh, as uh, the church. I can't think of a better place to go, even though it's not going to be exhaustive in any way. This is to all who believe, he says, to all who will believe in me through their message. So that uh, embraces the New Testament church, it embraces the teaching of the New Testament church that we have in the, New, in the Bible, and it embraces all believers uh, until Christ's return. And so what I want to look at here is what kind of gathering, what kind of community, what kind of people Jesus wants us to be if we are to understand what the church is. Well, the first thing uh, that he speaks about and that is core to this prayer is that it's going to be a united gathering, okay? It's a united gathering of people. Now, I know that the church, you can look at the church in many different ways. You can look at it as the local church, St. Columbus here tonight, you can look at it as the church in Scotland, for example, tonight. Or the church throughout the world today. Or indeed the church from all time. From when Christ first uh, died until uh, the return of Christ. Um, it includes all of that because that ultimately is going to be the gathering that will be with Jesus, isn't it? It's going to be all of that. But really, for, for all intents and purposes, I'm looking at it for us. St. Columbus, what it means to be the church here uh, in a local setting, where you and I are, in other words. So it's a united gathering. Um, he makes that very clear. It's absolutely the theme of what Jesus says, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. And he goes on to say that I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity so the world may know, and so on. This is the theme that he goes on and repeats. It's central to him. That the church is one, that we are one, that we are united. That's the kind of gathering that he wants. Now, I know there's extremes. There's two extremes that we want to avoid, okay, as part of this. We want to avoid unity at one level, one right down here, unity apart from the truth, okay? So there's no uh, truth at all. It's just unity on its own, unity apart from the truth. And then the other extreme is you've got truth without unity. 
So there's two extremes sometimes that we see in the church, isn't it? The church says, oh, we need to be united at all costs, whatever, it doesn't care what... But there's no truth there. There's no truth to bind us together, which is very important. And at the other end, there's people who say, oh, all that matters is the truth. And we can be divided and small and tiny and getting smaller all the time because we're the only ones who've got the truth. But there's no unity. Unity is a Cinderella uh, doctrine to them. And we want to avoid that. As a free church, we've kind of veered towards this end, haven't we? We've not got a great history. It's a kind of fractured, dysfunctional history of Presbyterianism where we just split all the time. And we say it's because of truth. And we take that high moral ground. And maybe currently the debate that's happening with our brothers in the Church of Scotland is is at the other end, where there's at least a degree of, of people within the church saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, we just need to stay united. So these are two extremes, and we need to come together and recognize what the Bible teaches about unity. So is unity a united gathering? But it's united, as we saw earlier, it's united with God, isn't it? God is at the center of the church, and he must be the center of our involvement in the church. Verse 21, he says, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me, and am I in in you, and uh, they are all uh, to recognize that he is in them also. And that's hugely significant. I in them, and you in me. So God is at the center uh, of this gathering, and it's a, un- a unity with God. In other words, it's a distinctly biblical unity. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father, God, except through me. So it's a unity with God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and Savior. So that in our church, for example, we're going to say this another night, membership is based on our profession of that faith, that we have faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. So the unity of membership is based on a spiritual reality. It's redemptive unity that we believe in. It's cross-shaped unity. It's unity that's based on an understanding of a creator God who created that we fell from a relationship with him, that we can't do anything about it unless Jesus redeems us and has paid the price for us and gives us that hope and that indescribable grace that motivates us in our lives. So it's a unity, a gathering that's united with God. And therefore, we're in fellowship with God as a people. So one of the most important parts of being a gathering is that we commune together, we worship together, we sacrament together. Also, we pray, surely, we pray together that we talk to and that we talk of Jesus Christ. Isn't that part of the unity that we have? It's a hugely significant aspect of the unity that we're a spiritual society, a spiritual gathering that we talk with and talk of Jesus Christ, because uh, he is in us, and we are in him, and Father, the Son is in the Father. So it's unity with God. Very important. We're a spiritual organization. And I will harp on about this until I fall into my grave, is that we need to be a praying people. And not just in our own, but together. 
because it's a unity we have with God, and He will be our God right into eternity. And it's important that we are talking together with God as a people. Unity with God. But it's also a unity we see as we describe the church. It's a unity uh, through the message. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them, also the disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. So we have this recognition that God is saying that the people of God, the church of God, is united through the message, that the, the foundational message that the New Testament uh, disciples, the apostles, will give. In other words, it's a unity that is communicated through the Word, through the truth of God's Word. We are a people who come under the authority of Scripture, under the authority of the message of Scripture. And we learn the truth together. That is the gathering that we are. Whatever else we are, whatever social interaction we share, and that's hugely important, whatever uh, uh, love and relationship we have, we're a a people who are learners together. We all will have L plates uh, hung around, spiritual L plates hung around our neck until and maybe even beyond glory, until we get into glory. But we're disciples. We're learners of Jesus through the message. So we're never free, as some churches will declare they're free to do, and maybe we've done. We're never free to abandon the clear and simple truth of God's Word. However counter-cultural that will make us. We can never say, well... You know, that used to be what the church believed. That is what the Bible teaches. But we don't regard that as being in line with modern thinking. We don't have that freedom. The church is not uh, its own uh, declaratory body. The church is united through the message that Jesus has given us. So as a gathering people, we have his parameters around us, don't we? His tells us this is what we are fundamentally to believe and understand in our lives. Now, of course, we recognize there's fundamental truth and there's secondary truth and there's other things that aren't clear. But we recognize what is significant and important. And what's the most important thing? It's the summary of the Ten Commandments. Loving God as a gathering and loving one another. I knew I'd forget something. It's always the same. I write something in my notes and I say, take it with you. And I forgot it. And it'll be no good taking it next week. The moment's gone. If any of you have been in the house, you'll have seen uh, in the, where the computer is in the, in the room that we sit in, family room, there's a, a, a frame above the computer on the wall and it's an embroidery. I'm a great lover of embroidery. And it has the 24 or so love one another's from the New Testament embroidered with the texts. And I was going to take that tonight and show you a a high-tech visual for you. And it was given to me by a lady in the congregation that I left in Roskine to come down here. And it's always been there, and it's always important, because uh, the message of the New Testament is full of these love one another's and all the important significance of these one another's because that's the kind of church 
through the message that Jesus wants us to be. A church that's accountable to one another, that shepherds one another, that cares for one another, looks out for one another, that uh, treats one another with grace and love, that is submissive to one another, that sees God's pattern and God's model. So we have unity through this message, this message that teaches us how to live, teaches us how to um, be the church. And as I'll say a little bit more in a minute, it's a, a church that is united with a message to share. You know, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. It's a message we will always, always have a message to share with people. Tomorrow, I remember a couple of Wednesdays ago, I said, pray for an opportunity tomorrow. A number of you came back saying, yeah, I got an opportunity yes, tomorrow, yesterday, today, whenever it was when I saw you. Because God is faithful. Because we've got a message to share. It's nice to smile at people. It's nice to be Christian. But it's lovely to then follow through that smile with the truth when we get that opportunity naturally to share the gospel. How will they hear? Unless we share that message together. So it's a gathering through the message. So we worship in spirit and in truth. We seek to worship in the spirit of truth. We seek to keep the gospel at the center of all we do. That grace is, is the air that we breathe. That the sacraments help us to understand the gospel. And we, we, we practice them biblically. That we pastorally care and disciple one another, which you'll see more as we talk about membership more directly. That we serve each other. That we search the scriptures. Because it's his message. We're a gathering united with his message. There's another couple, of, just another couple of things about this unity which describes the church. It's a unity with God. It's a unity through the message. But it's a unity. Now, this you may not have heard before. It's a unity as evangelism. Okay? The church, just by being the church properly, just by being Christ's kind of gathering, will be evangelistic. You know, there are times, of course, when we need courses and we need events and we need to go out there on the street. But as we are the church, just simply living his way in a united way around him with Christ at the head and God in our hearts and the spirit, uh, with that unity in the message, we will be evangelistic. Listen to what what Jesus says in his prayer in verse 20. He says, I pray for them also and those who will believe that all of them may be one... uh, Father, just as you to me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So the world may believe. So it's evangelistic. If we live this way, in this united way, loving one another, the world will see that and will believe that you have sent me. And then he goes on in verse 21 to say, uh, no, sorry, that's verse 21. Verse 23 to say the same thing. I and them and you and me, may they be bought to what? complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and loved them even as you've loved me. Isn't that amazing that it's an evangelistic unity that we're united and when we're united God's way, when we're being church, God's way of being church, simply living as his body, simply living his way as his body as the church, then that will mean that the world is amazed by that and will understand and know God's love and will be evangelized. Are you terrified of evangelism? 
You terrified of sharing your faith all on your own with nobody there and everyone hating you? But remember this reality. Just as we are united and you're focused on this uh, unity with God through the message and the truth of God's message, that has a great evangelistic effect because we are united in living the message and living in love. And the gospel will then be shared naturally because Jesus is the head of your heart, head of your life, head of your community. So as we have this common purpose under Christ through grace to live in this united way under the message and with God's strength, it will speak volumes. Speak volumes to this isolated, broken, disestablished and dysfunctional world. That's how it should be, you know. That's part of what is to be evangelistic in uh, the world that God's given us. If we are doing church properly, it will have its own effect. I'm not saying these other things aren't important, but I'm saying if we are doing church God's way, then the world will see and know that God loves, and they will be attracted by that. It's hugely significant, I think, for us in this day and generation in which we live. Why are our churches empty? so often? Well, maybe it's because we hate one another. Maybe because we go into church and we hear a sermon, we go out and we don't talk to anyone, but we talk about them. We're disunited. There's no sense of community. There's no sense of sacrifice and care and concern for one another. We're just individuals living our own lives, just floating in our own way, gathering shells. It's tremendously evangelistic to be united the world can see that. And what it implies, or it doesn't state, it's what it implies. It implies somehow, and this is something we're wrestling with. It's something we're wrestling with at our strategy day on Friday with the elders and the deacons and the women's pastoral team, and what we were struggling with yesterday. It implies engagement with the world somehow, doesn't it? It implies that as we're doing church, we're not just doing them in these four, in, inside these four walls where nobody sees you know, we could be as loving and as united, absolutely, and stay for hours and drink all the coffee and tea in China. And uh, it have no effect because nobody sees it. It implies that somehow we're taking that united community that we are under God with his message. We are taking that into the world so the world can see, isn't it? Somehow our Christianity needs to get out there and be the flavor. The church needs to get out of there. Not just with a message, but with uh, this unity that Jesus speaks about. You see, if you're uncommitted to the church, God's church, if you're strangers to God's grace, if for you church is just this one-hour experience or maybe two-hour experience on a Sunday, if you have the time, if you come in but you really can't stand the people here, if you're not accountable to the leaders of the church ordained under God, as the message tells us, if you're a free spirit who just comes and goes as you please, then you've missed the point of what church is. You've missed the point of what the gospel is. You've missed the point of belonging to a community that is heading towards heaven that you'll be with eternally. So unity with evangelism. And as I say there, uh, just 
as I mentioned there, it's unity also with a view. Okay, the church has this unity with a view. Verse 24, he says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you love me before the creation of the world. So Christ's prayer for the church is that the church would see his glory, would understand more of who Jesus is and more of the love of God. Now that is a future dimension because he says, I want them to be with me where I am. But I think it also is a present reality because the Great Commission says if you know, make disciples and, and I will be with you always. So there's this great sense in which church is unity with God, recognizing, reflecting, and experiencing the glory of Christ. I wonder if any of us have ever sensed that in our community of believers. That Can I say if you forget everything I've said tonight? I hope the Spirit doesn't allow you to do that. But if you do, can I, I would ask you to remember one thing. That heaven, therefore, or church, can I or ask you to consider this uh, definition of the church to keep in your mind? One may be what I said earlier, uh, Christ died for them too. But the one I really want you to take with you is, it's a bit like heaven. It should be a bit like heaven. That's what the church should be, a bit like heaven, because it's knowing and experiencing and understanding the glory of Jesus. That's what it should be, because we're the body of Christ. And he wants us to see that glory and share that love together. So isn't that a great perspective? Isn't it probably the last perspective you've ever thought of a church being? A taste of heaven? I think for some people it's more like a taste of hell. Some places some experiences. So often it's a battle, isn't it? So often we've got, we've, got, we've got self-righteousness to deal with, to be rooted out in our lives here and now. But we have the resources of God's Holy Spirit to enable us to sense that heaven, that church is a taste of heaven. Even, even when we're let down, even when it's rubbish, that we can know forgiveness and know the glory of God and hopefully know healing. Because when we're let down, um, it can be a terrible thing. And if we don't deal with it, it can be a terrible thing. But if we can deal with it and work through it and know forgiveness and healing, then it can be a, a remarkable thing also. Not that I'm encouraging it. But I think that's what the world needs to see. And I think that's what we need to try by God's grace, as we understand what the church is, to make it a taste, a little taste of heaven. Because this is a reminder, isn't it, that it's, it's going to last a lot longer than anything else. It's going to last a lot longer than me or you. It's going to last into eternity. And so let's make it now what it's going to be, as much as we can, by God's grace, a taste of heaven. So in conclusion, can I just ask you the question? What is your view of the church? Can I ask you to answer that in your own mind? What is your view of the church? Now, you may have thought I was uh, excessive in some of the things I've said about the church, speaking in extreme, in extremis. But whatever your view is of the church, can I ask you biblically to lift it? Lift it. Lift your view of the church so you see it as Christ sees it in this incredible prayer and see what he prays about as being significant.
And I do believe that there's a unique challenge for every single one of you here tonight and many more who aren't here tonight in St. Columbus. I do believe, and we're talking about this on Friday and Saturday, that Christ Jesus has taken you to the kingdom for such a time as this. Here. In St. Columbus. And that is what I want you to consider. That your responsibility as leaders, as congregation And all of our responsibility is to make this place as a taste of heaven as it can be. And we all have a responsibility to do that. And that will take time. And I'm just asking you, I'm not making any demands, but I'm asking you if there's any way you think that in your life, in the culture that we live in where the employer is Lord and demands of you much more than anything else, that you can be challenged to give the church of Christ, the bought blood church of Christ, more of your time, more time to be united, to work at unity, to work at being under God, to work at the message, to work at loving him and loving one another, to work at then, therefore, the evangelism of being together as a people, to make this church look more like Jesus wants it to be will soon be gone. What's the legacy we're going to live, leave going to be? And I'm not being uh, uh, parochial. I'm not asking you to do that because it's St. Columbus. It's all that matters. I'm just asking you because this is our local church. And I know there's wider understandings of the church. But where God is placed, have you come to the kingdom for such a time as this? You're a unique a unique group of people, uniquely beautiful and uh, precious and valuable and have been brought together under God and I believe it's for a purpose. And may it be that we have a high view of the church uh, that is scriptural and biblical and based on, on, on the message that he has given us about the church. Let's bow our heads briefly and pray. Father God, help us to understand a little bit more about the church. May we not be parochial about it. May we not be denominational about it. May we not be possessive or insular about it. But may we see this amazing reality of this gathering of uh, God's people that is, is like a, a juggernaut that is moving forward and growing all the time uh, until that great day when all of his people are gathered in and will join in that wedding feast of the Lamb, which will be the greatest gathering of all, and will be the church uh, triumphant. Lord, help us to know that, that we are on that journey, and help us to remember each of us in the frustrations we sometimes feel about others, that Christ has died for them too as believers. And we will also seek to make church here for us a taste of heaven, in the unity Uh, that we share under God and in the truth that binds us together and in the love that has redeemed us from death and from hell and from the grave. So help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.